Good morning, my friend. I hope you're doing well. I am so excited to be talking to you this morning. I'm Dr. Lee Warren here on the Self-Brain Surgery with Dr. Lee Warren podcast, and it is 8 September 2023. I am incredibly grateful for those of you who joined us last night for me and Max Lucado having a chance to sit down via Zoom and talk. There were several hundred people from at least five countries. I, the chat was going by really fast. So it was hard to keep up with it. But I know there were people from New Zealand and Ecuador and Canada and Mexico and a couple of other countries that I saw go by. And then I don't know how many states, but it seems like probably all of them. So if you were on that call, um, so grateful that you're there, that you were there. And boy, we had a, just an amazing talk with Max. And he brought his pastor's heart to the neuroscience of grief and hardship and massive thing conversation. It was just so wonderful. I want to remind you that will be available for replay if you weren't unable to make it, or even if you did make it and you want to watch it again, there will be a replay. It's got to come from Baker Books before I can give it to you. So I'll have a video to share with you sometime, hopefully before too long. I'm excited about that. I have all kinds of cool stuff coming up, some interviews that I'll be able to share with you that I'm having on other people's podcasts. There's two more today. We have an appearance on the 700 Club coming up. We have a number of things in the near future for you that I'll be able to give you information about. And we have some incredible guests coming to this show. You're going to be incredibly blessed. We've got Erwin Raphael McManus coming up, one of my favorite writers, and also another one of my very favorite writers, 2022 Christian Book Award winner and Christianity Today Book Award winner. Tish Harrison Warren is coming uh, in October to talk to us. Uh, of course, we just had Susie Larson a couple of times recently. I'm going to be on her show two times in the next few weeks. And then we have a whole bunch of other wonderful interviews, uh, including Gary Chapman, the Five Love Languages podcast I'm going to be on soon. So we'll be sharing all that with you soon. Today, I want to talk to you about one little idea. I've got to get uh, things squared away here. Lisa and Tata are traveling, so I'm going to have to get the dogs and take care of them in a few minutes. But I had this thing on my mind that I want to share with you. It popped into my head as we were talking with Max last night. And it's this idea that we can struggle with repetitive negative thinking over the course of our entire life. And sometimes we struggle with the same particular set of thoughts. And I found an example in the Bible of one guy who struggled throughout his life with the same pattern of thinking, this idea, this lie, it turns out, that if he went through a particular kind of trauma and it forced him down into this pit of despair or death, that God wouldn't be able to be there with him. And there's two examples in this one person's life in the Bible that he struggles with the same thought. And there's another place where he actually dealt with that thought successfully and he reminded himself what the truth is. And it's a great example of the fact that you can work through something and you can come to understand that it's true and you can still struggle with it because synapses are so powerful. And once you've made a synapse that says, God won't take care of me, God doesn't care about me, God can't go here with me, God can't isn't big enough to do this thing or my, my pain is bigger than he is. Once you've made that type of synapse, it can recur and happen over and over again in your lifetime. And I want you to know that so you're not discouraged by it. Because some of us, when we have these thoughts that pop in, 
into our head and these patterns of behavior and thinking, we get discouraged and we think, man, am I ever going to be able to overcome this? And I just want to give you this one example from the Bible of a guy that you'll be surprised by who struggled with this particular pattern of negative thinking, even though he knew the truth and he demonstrated to us that he knew the truth. And we're going to see how he was able to change his mind and how he was able to change his life when trauma and tragedy and the massive things threw big curveballs at him in his life and what he did about it. And that'll give us some hope that we can do something about it too, because you can change your mind and you can change your life because there is a treatment plan and hope is the first dose. And guess what? You can start today. Hey, are you ready to change your life? If the answer is yes, there's only one rule. You have to change your mind first. And my friend, there's a place where the neuroscience of how your mind works smashes together with faith and everything starts to make sense. That place is called self-brain surgery. You can learn it and it will help you become healthier, feel better, and be happier. And the good news is you can start today. Thanks, Lisa. Hey, so glad to have you listening today. I'm Dr. Lee Warren, and I live in Nebraska in the United States of America with my incredible wife, Lisa, my father-in-law, Tata, and the super pups, Harvey and Lewis. I'm a neurosurgeon and an author, and I'm here to help you harness neuroscience, the power of your brain, faith, the power of your spirit, and good old common sense to help you lead a healthier, better, happier life. Listen, friend, you can't change your life until you change your mind, and I'm here to help you learn the art of self-brain surgery to get it done if you like the show. Please subscribe so you never miss an episode and tell your friends about it. If you tell two or three friends this podcast was helpful to you, imagine how much good we can all do around the world together. I'm Dr. Lee Warren, and I'm here to help you change your mind so you can change your life. Let's get after it. Okay, no more surprise, no more anticipation. I'm going to tell you who I was talking about a while ago. So there's this guy in the Bible that you probably heard of named David. And David was the king, obviously. He, he was the guy who slayed the giant Goliath. He'd had a lot of experiences. He slayed the, the bear and the lion in a pit with a lion on a snowy day. All these stories that we have from David, knowing he, he had to know that God was with him. He went through so much, and God was at his side. And God had been with him over and over and over. And then he committed a terrible, grievous sin, a, a string of grievous sins. He, he slept with Bathsheba. He coveted his neighbor's wife and, and took her and impregnated her and murdered Uriah to cover up for it. All these stories are told in the book of Second Samuel in the Old Testament. But then something happened. Bathsheba became pregnant, and God said, this baby's going to die. Now, we don't understand all the ins and outs of that. I, I've never understood why the baby died. And it was David that sinned. I've never understood that. That's a big question. It's one that I can't answer. And it's probably another time we can talk to somebody like Max Lucado or some other biblical scholar that might be able to shed some insight on some of those things. And one of you that listened last night asked that very question. Why did the child pay for the sins of the father? And honestly, I don't know the answer to that. And it's disturbing. But the story goes like this. Second Samuel 12, David is, is grieving and weeping and begging God and fasting and tearing his clothes, and he's asking God not to take this child's life. And then the child dies, and the servants make David know, make him aware of the fact that the child has died, and he does a strange thing. I talk about this in Hope is the First Dose, my new book, which I hope you read, by the way. I think it'll help you. But nevertheless, David does a really weird thing here, and I think it has implications for us in understanding how we can behave 
sometimes oddly after we've suffered trauma and tragedy and massive things and sometimes our decisions and what we do in those moments when we're hurting and after we're hurting can really cause us trouble later in our life if we don't manage our grief and our pain properly. So David, he's been wailing and weeping and fasting and praying for days, and the baby dies, and he does a weird thing. He gets up, gets dressed, takes a shower, changes his clothes, you know, brushes his teeth, gets himself ready, and he calls for food, and he eats, and he basically goes back to work running the country. And second, his, his servants say, what are you doing? Your, your son just died. And he said, well, I can't do anything about it now. I might as well go back to work. That's my paraphrase of the scripture. You should read it in 2 Samuel 12. That's pretty much what he did. He got up and got dressed and ate something and went back to work. And then the stories go on. He, he slept with his wife again and had other children. He started a war. He had strife in his family and he had all kinds of issues. And as the chapters go by, you see that David's family became a wreck. One of his sons raped one of his daughters, and another one of his sons murdered that son in response to that. And then he went off because he was afraid of what his dad would do. He went off into exile, and the Bible says clearly David wanted to go to Absalom. And for three years, he wanted to go to him and try to fix that relationship, but he never went. He wanted to go, but he didn't get it done. And then Absalom rises up and tries to overthrow his father ends up dying from that. Another son rose up and tried to call himself the king. And the Bible even makes a kind of an offhanded comment that David never said to his son, why do you act the way that you do? He never tried to parent him. So basically David fell apart, didn't grieve properly, didn't steward his family properly, and his trauma response produced all kinds of discord in his family's chain. But nevertheless, his story ends well, and we're told in the Bible, that David was a man after God's own heart. And the man who gave us such beautiful poetry as Psalm 23 also gave us a lot of example of lament and questioning and bringing our doubt and pain before God. And at least a third of the Psalms are Psalms of lament. I learned that from Mark Rogat. And so we learn from David that not managing your grief and your trauma properly can create real problems in the real world with your family and with your future. So there's a lesson. There's a whole bunch of lessons in that, and I wrote about them in Hope is the First Dose. But in terms of our thinking, I want to give you one little example of the power and the value of creating a circuit, a synapse, involving this thought biopsy process that I've taught you before. Or if you're new around here, it's one of the things we talk about in Hope is the First Dose. It's one of the techniques that we talk about in learning how to manage your mind that I call self-brain surgery. And we talk about it here on the podcast all the time. But the thought biopsy is this process of grabbing a thought, and before you choose to feel it or react to it or respond to it, you investigate it and interrogate it first. And you find out what that thought is and if it's true or not true. And if it is true, you put it through a bunch of tests and decide if it's something that you need to change or interact with or if it really is true and helpful to you. Okay, That little bit of self-brain surgery turns out to be really valuable. And I'm going to give you some examples from David's life of why it's so valuable. And the reason I think it is is because negative thought patterns tend to be recurrent. We tend to reverberate them and ruminate on them and chew on them and turn them in to self-activating little programs that run anytime we feel a stress that reminds us of a previous stress. And you know this is true already experientially. Somebody yelled at you and called you a bad name when you were a kid, and now when you make a mistake, you hear that thought in your head and you call yourself that bad name under your breath. 
Okay, I'm going to give you three examples of this recurring thought, or two examples of this recurring thought in David's life. And I'm going to give you an example of a time when he managed it successfully. And I'm going to do that for the purpose of showing you that even if you're a man after God's own heart, even if you are a person who seems to have it all together, you're going to struggle with some negative thinking. And it's incredibly valuable to learn how to take those thoughts captive and deal with them proactively through the prehab, self-brain surgery, and rehab treatment plan of hope that I've given you in Hope is the First Dose. This this idea of self-brain surgery is biblical and it's consistent with neuroscience of how your brain is wired and it will help you change your mind and change your life. It really will. And I'm going to give you an example. Here's David. All right. Here's David in Psalm 28. Check this out. To you, Lord, I call. You are my rock. Do not turn a deaf ear to me, for if you remain silent, I will be like those who go down to the pit. You hear that? He's saying, God, I need to hear your voice. I'm in this place and I'm hurting and I need to hear your voice. Don't stop talking to me or I'll be like those who go down to the pit. So in David's worldview, back in those days, he wouldn't have had the same understanding of death that we do and, and of resurrection and all. They didn't have the same ideas yet and didn't fully understand what happens after we die. And it was this idea that when you're dead, you're dead and you can't hear God anymore. That God's not there in the pit and Sheol in in the bottom place with the, those who have passed on. God's not there, according to that idea. And so David is telling himself a lie. It turns out to be a lie. He's saying, God, if I can't hear your voice, I might as well be dead because dead people are hopeless. Hopeless people can't hear you. And I can't imagine my life without being able to hear you. So don't stop talking to me. So David has this repeating, recurring thought in his brain that God isn't with him if he's really in trouble, that if he's down in the pit, if he's in a bad place, if he dies, God won't be there with him. He has that thought. Now look, it doesn't stop there. Over in Psalm 143, over in 143, later in his life, David says this, Answer me quickly, Lord. My spirit fails. Do not hide your face from me or I will be like those who go down to the pit. Here's that recurring thought again. He's had it before, way back in Psalm 28. He's having it again, way down in Psalm 143. And he's saying, don't stop talking to me. Don't hide your face from me, or I'll be like those people who really are hopeless. I'll be like those people down in the pit. And you're not there in the pit. And so he's telling himself that there's a situation he can get in that God can't come to where God won't be able to help him, where God's voice won't be able to reach his ears, where he'll truly be hopeless and alone. And he's felt some hopeless and alone moments in his life, hasn't he? But what's interesting to me is we have Psalm 28 where he's saying the same thing, this lie that God can't be with him in the pit. And over in Psalm 143, he's saying this lie, again, is popping up into his head and he's running with it that God won't be with him. If he's in the pit, if he's in despair, if he's having the massive thing, God won't be there. And yet, just a few chapters before that, in Psalm 139, look what David says. He already knows the truth. This is fascinating to me. David says this, You have searched me, O Lord, Psalm 139. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out. And my lying down, you are familiar with all my ways. 
Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Listen to this, friend. Verse 7, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. Listen to this. David knows the truth. There is no place I can go that my God will not go with me. Why does he know that? Because he fought Goliath. Because he fought a lion in a pit on a snowy day. Because he fought the the bear. Because he slayed Goliath. Because God was with him when his son died. Because God spared him when he went through the massive thing. Even his own massive thing that he caused with his own sin. God didn't abandon him. Yes, he had trouble. Yes, he had trauma. Yes, he had tragedy. But God never abandoned him. And he won't abandon you either, friend. So here's the thing. It's just, it's fascinating to me. And it's encouraging to me to think all the struggles that I have with the same negative thinking, all the things I say to myself and all the thought processes and loops I go down, this spiral staircase that leads down into the pit of despair, all the times that I do that, I beat myself up for it because I know the truth. And I say, why in the world do I struggle so much with this repetitive thinking? And the reason is that's how human brains are organized. And in order to overcome it, even David struggled with it. He has a bad thought. He has it again later in his life. And in between, he's already dealt with it. He's done the self-brain surgery. He knows the truth. He knows he can't go anywhere where God won't be with him. And he still struggles with that negative thinking because he didn't learn the biopsy and the lousy attitude lobotomy and the thought transplant and the trust transfer and all these operations that I'm teaching you in self-brain surgery. He didn't learn them. He knew the truth. But he still struggled with repetitive negative thinking. There's a writer named Ursula Le Guin. And she famously had a sign on her desk when she was writing. And she asked herself three questions of her writing that I think turn out to be three pretty good things to ask of your thoughts when you do a thought biopsy and you look at it critically and you say, is this thought, what is this thought all about that I'm having? Here's three pretty good questions to ask of a thought before you decide how you're going to respond to it or react to it. Ursula Le Guin's three things that she asked of her writing are these three things. Is it true? Is it necessary or at least useful? And is it compassionate or at least unharmful? Ask yourself those questions or take that thought. You say, God, don't don't turn your face from me or I'll be like those who are hopeless and, and you won't go there. You won't be there with me. There's no way out of this situation. You're not going to help me. You've abandoned me. Maybe you don't even exist. I'm never going to be happy again. I can never have meaning and purpose in my life again because I lost my son. All those thoughts, right? Time out. Take a biopsy. Is it true? Is it true? And is it necessary for me to even think about this right now? Like, are there other things I could be thinking about? Can I bring this to Jesus, as Max said last night? Can I take this thought and can I just bring it to Jesus and say, is this true? And even if it is true, can you take it? Because it's too much for me to bear. And you promise that you're gentle and lowly and I can put my yoke on you and you'll take it and you'll give me a yoke that's easier to carry. You can remind yourself of truth 
friend. Remind yourself of things that are helpful. So is it true? Is it necessary for you to think about it? And if it is necessary, is it at least useful? Like, can you find a way to take that thought and turn it into something, harness it in some way? to give it meaning and purpose and value and make yourself improve from it. So anything that doesn't have the ability to help you get back on track isn't worthy of your thinking. Because even if it was true and you can't change it now, you really only have one choice or two choices. You can quit, kill yourself, drink yourself into a hole, give up and let that thing become your reality. Or you can say, yes, that's true, and I'm going to make sure the rest of my life looks different than that. I'm going to make better decisions going forward. I'm going to honor that person that I lost. I'm going to make healthier choices, and I'm going to make that thing turn out for my good because God promised that it can turn out for my good. The last thought, is it compassionate or at least unharmful? So are you having these thoughts that are not compassionate about yourself? Remember the Lord said, greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. He expects you to love yourself. And if you're having repetitive thoughts that are not compassionate, as Max said, as my father-in-law says all the time, be kind to yourself, friend. Be kind to yourself. There's not a lot of people lining up in the world to be kind to you. Unfortunately, it's true. But I hope you have some people around you who are. That's what church is good for a lot of times. That's what family should be for. But not all of us have that. We don't all have a group of people who are lining up to be kind. So certainly be kind to yourself. Be kind to yourself. So think about if David had had that thought back in Psalm 28. Don't stop talking to me, God. Don't turn your face or I'll be like those who go down in the pit and I'll be hopeless. What if he had said, wait a minute, hold on. I've been in a pit before. I was in a pit with a lion on a snowy day and I overcame him. And God was with me there. And yes, if I become, if I feel hopeless, God will remind me that the sun's going to come up again and the light's going to come back on and it's not hopeless. And he'll help me find a way forward in this situation. He will. You can recount true things that have happened before. You can remember times that you've made it through before. You can remember that other people have made it through. That's why the the Israelites were always encouraged to put up memorials and and pile up rocks and make a a sign that reminded you of this happening and and write stuff on your wristbands and put it on your forehead and remind yourself if the Lord hadn't been on our side, we really would have been in trouble. And thank God that God did this before. And I'm so glad that he's been with us before because that gives me hope that he will be with me again. So you remember... And you move, friend, towards the thing that's going to help the hope come true in your life. Don't be discouraged that you have repeating negative thoughts that happen over and over again. It's part of the deal. It's it's, it's how synapses work. And your task then is to take these new neurons that you make every morning. God's mercies are new every morning, and so are your neurons. And neurons that fire together, wire together. So you can take that new batch of little baby neurons and you don't let them automate into the same old thought processes and patterns and behaviors that you've always given them. You take command of your thought, Second Corinthians 10.5. Take command of every thought that sets itself up against you and up against Jesus. Take charge of it. And remember Romans 12.2, our self-brain surgery motto. Don't be conformed. Don't you let the world tell you how to think anymore. Don't let your experience, don't let other people, don't let culture, don't let 
past trauma tell you how to think anymore because that stuff is in the past and you can take charge of it. Rather, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Friend, you can't change your life until you change your mind and you can do it, but you've got to be willing to do the self-brain surgery of the thought biopsy. Is it true? Is it helpful? Is it necessary? Is it compassionate? Is it unharmful? And if it's not, you need to do some surgery and change that thought pattern because you can change your mind and you can change your life. And hope is the first dose. You can start today. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to the show so you automatically get every episode. And if you like the show, you'll love my weekly letter. Check out my writing at drleewarren.substack.com, drleewarren.substack.com. Get the free newsletter every week for my best prescriptions for becoming healthier, feeling better, and being happier through the power of faith and neuroscience smashing together 
via self brain surgery, drleewarren.substack.com. And if you need prayer, go to the prayer wall at wleewarrenmd.com slash prayer. The theme music for the show is Make Us One by Tommy Walker, graciously provided for free by the great folks over at tommywalkerministries.org. Check it out and consider supporting them, tommywalkerministries.org. Remember, you can't change your life until you change your mind. And the good news is you can start today. I'm Dr. Lee Warren. I'll talk to you soon. God bless you, friend. Have a great day.